this one. Um, you know, our our vision for 2020 is um, it's it's based out of Acts chapter two. You know, this is a Pentecostal church. If you didn't know, if you didn't figure that out yet, uh, and uh, you know, I tell people this all the time. All that means is that we believe that in in the life of the church and in, in the history of the church, the the birth of the church was the day of Pentecost, and that so the the day of Pentecost, what happens there should be held uh, should have some supremacy whenever we we talk about how we conduct ourselves. What I mean by that, it means that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and we believe that the Holy Spirit should have, uh, should have a significant role in the life of the, of the believer. We believe that the Holy Spirit is uh, active and available. And so we want to, as a church, the River Church in 2020, and all years for that matter, but we're specifically trying to hone in, in this year, on what the church did in Acts chapter 2. What, what did they do? How did they conduct themselves? How did they act? Why did this happen? And so one of the things that we're talking about, first and foremost, that happened in Acts 2, 42 through 47, which we'll read here in a second. And we'll probably read every week for the next, like, eight weeks or something like that. I don't know. Uh, so you'll get used to it. One of the things that they talk about in there is that they were in awe. They were in awe of the Lord. They praised God everywhere they went. And so that's what we're talking about these Last week and then t- today is praise and worship. So let's start with reading Acts 2, 42 through 47. If you um, have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can just look at the screen. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, or being saved. I love how it says there in verse uh, 46, um, the first part of verse 46 says, they worship together at the temple each day. Now, as most of you know, uh, we don't have church every day here, you know, but we do have it every Sunday. And and one of the things that the early church did, uh, Brad talked about this last week, but I'm just, just kind of refreshing your memories a little bit. One of the things that early church did that made everything that, you know, these guys turned the world upside down. It tells us that later on in Acts. They turned the world upside down. 12 guys, well not 12 guys, it expanded from 12, but you know what I mean. They turned the world upside down. How did they do it? They met and they worshiped together in the temple regularly. They made it a regular discipline. There's There's another version of the Bible that says they made it a daily discipline to worship together. I love that. It was a daily occurrence. It was not, you could say, it wasn't, it wasn't every so often, right? They didn't neglect meeting together, but it was something that happened very frequently. It was something that happened to them daily for us weekly. I even hope then, even then I hope it's not weekly. I hope that we are getting together throughout the week, that we see other believers throughout the week and that we're worshiping because the life of a healthy church should be centered around worship. It's vitally important. Worship and prayer, they kind of all go hand in hand. Worshiping God should be the center of the church. Should be the center. Because if we're not worshiping God, then what makes us any different than any other nonprofit organization? 
If we aren't uplifting the name of Jesus, if we're not worshiping God, then what makes us any different than the Red Cross or any different from the Habitat for Humanity or any, or any nonprofit organization, right? The difference is that we uplift the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. We worship him. That, is, that, should, be, that should mark us. That should be something that we wear on our sleeve, a life of worship. People should see worship exuding from us. And we're going to talk about that this morning, about praise and worship a little bit more. But people should see that coming out of your life. People should see a life of worship coming out of you. We are to praise and worship God. It's it's a command, really. It's a command of the Bible. Everywhere where you see it, I mean, it's not saying, you know, if you feel like it, you know, or, you know, if you, if you choose to. or whatever. I mean, it's a command. The Bible is very clear about what it says. If we go to the next verse there, Psalm 100, this, everything I'm about to read here is not, it's not, you know, if you feel like it or if you want to or, you know, it, it, this is a command. He says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Nothing in there seems to me like it's up for grabs. Nothing in there is up for debate. Shout with joy to the Lord. Come with him with gladness. The psalmist is, 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 is I would say, not even encouraging. The psalmist is, is declaring to us, do this. Do this, believers. If, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, come into his gates. Come into his house and worship him with gladness. Worship him with thanksgiving. Worship him with joy. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. All the earth. Not just part of the earth. Not just people who feel like it, but all the earth. It's a command. It's something that as, as believers we are, we are told to do. And, and I've been thinking about this for a little bit. Is it like, you know, is God so narcissistic that he's just sitting up there like, okay, you have to worship me. I'm not going to feel very good about myself if you don't worship me. You know, I'm not going to, I am all powerful and almighty. And if you don't worship me, then I'm, I'm going to get after you. You know, no, of course that's not it. The Bible teaches us that God is love. And, and, and anybody you've met who is loving, is, it cannot be narcissistic at the same time, right? What we understand is that God is, 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 is telling us through his word to worship us, as I said earlier, because worship benefits us. Praise and worship changes us. It doesn't change God when you tell him he's more holy or more more powerful or more uh, loving or more this or that, right? What it does is it changes us, though. It changes our hearts because we're the ones who have rebelled against God. And so when we come back to him and say, God, you are all of these things. You have done great things. You are amazing. It changes us, changes our heart. It breaks us from the inside out, and we begin to form to be more like him. So it's a command. We're to praise and worship God. But I do feel like maybe people in the church, um, we, we know we should praise and worship God. We know that it's, it's it maybe the right thing to do, but we don't know exactly the ins and outs of what it means. And so this morning, I want to talk more about what praise and worship is, and not just in my own definitions, but from what the Word says, what, from what the Bible says. Uh, and so let's just dive into it here. I'll give you kind of some English definitions first, but then we're going to go, we're going to break down words in their original language in the Bible, because if, for those of you who didn't know, the Bible was not written in English was written in uh, actually three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so uh, w- 
all of your Bibles, all the Bibles throughout history have been translated from those languages. But thank God for the internet, right? We can, we can go in there. If you, ever, if you ever really wanna dive into this for yourself, go to blueletterbible.org. Strong's Concordance is on there, the Greek lexicon, all these things. I'm just speaking to the nerds in the room for a minute, you know. You can go on there. You can look at everything. You can look at, see where a word has been used here and there. And I mean, if you want to get in-depth into your Bible, you can go on there and you can check it out. I'm going to make it a little bit more surface level today in that term. But let's start off with praise and worship are used kind of interchangeably. The words are praise and worship. But and we can do that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to correct someone when they say praise or they should have said worship or this or that, right? We use them interchangeably, but they do mean different things. They are different words. And I'm going to ask, I'm just going to say right now, if you would pardon me for a minute, because everything from here on out is semantics. Everything from here on out is just like, you know, I say it this way, but you say it that way, right? These are just definitions that, um, that the Bible gives us. Okay, praise, exaltation of God for what he has done. Praise is, is glorifying, honoring, lifting up, assigning glory or honor to God for what he has done. It's for the things that God has done that we praise him. Worship is different. Worship is exalting God. Worship is glorifying God. Worship is honoring God simply for who he is. Simply for who he is. And so I praise God for the gift of salvation. I worship God because he's loving. Like I said, it's semantics is different, but whenever you think about it that way, it changes the way that we read scriptures, it changes the way that we sing songs, right? Changes the way that we think about these two words. Praise, once again, exaltation for what God has done, miracles, uh, salvation, deliverance, healing, all these amazing things that we believe that God does and God has done. Right, A lot of times when we praise God, it's not necessarily our current circumstance, but we're looking back and saying, God, you did this, and so I believe that you can do this. I'm praising you for what you have done. Right, God, you have delivered me. You've saved me. You've healed me. So I praise you for what you've done. Worship is lifting God up for who he is. And this one, this one, because you can praise anybody, right? I can praise, uh, I don't know, it's on my mind today. I can praise Patrick Mahomes, right? Best quarterback of all time, right? I can, I can say, I could, I could assign praise to him, right? I can say that. But you can only worship God. You can assign praise to other people. You can say good things about other people. If I say something good about you, I'm praising you, right? I'm praising you for maybe a good job you've done or you look nice today or this or that, right? But I can only worship God. I can only worship God because I am exalting him for who he is, because there's only one of a kind, God. There's only one of him. There's only one who sits on the throne. There's only one who is the alpha and the omega. There's only one who is the first and the last. There's only, the, there's only one who was and is and is to come. There's only one who is the ancient of days. There's only one who is Jehovah. There's only one, I could go on and on. He's the only one. And so my worship is simply for God alone. Only for God alone. And this is where humanity went wrong. This is not my notes. This is the free preaching. But this is, where you, this is where humanity went wrong. The garden. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to worship not God as superior and supreme, but themselves. They took autonomy in their own hands and said, I am going to be my own God. I'm going to worship myself and my own actions. True worship leads us back to the garden, reverses it, and says, God, I choose to listen to you. I'm not going to go my own way. 
I'm going to worship you. You are supreme. You are above all things. It's exalting God for who he is, recognizing he's holy, loving, powerful, mighty. All these things, all these attributes we give to God is worshiping for who he is. Amen. So let's, pray, let's, let's break this down a little bit. Praise. In your Bible, there's about six or seven, depending on how you read it, words for praise. There's different words that mean different things for praise. Uh, and th- you know, this is one of the disadvantages of English is that with a lot of words, we have one word that means many different things. It could it can mean a lot of different things. You know, whenever we say, you know, I I you know I, I love the Chiefs, you know, or I I I guess I love my mom, right? They're two different things, right? Praise is kind of like that. When you say praise, it can mean different things according to what what it is, but when you translate it in English in your Bible, it says the same thing. So I'm just going to break down three of them this morning. So the first one I have written down here is uh, tehila, not tequila, tehila, okay? And uh, tehila, it, it means this, a song, a hymn, a, a praise song of some sort. It's, it's, it, it is a specific connotation of music to it. And so th- this word tehila is very fitting for what we do here this morning, right? This morning we sang a song. The very first song we sang uh, was, um, excuse me, Raise the Hallelujah, right? It's, it's assigning praise to God through song, right? Yes, I will. It's praising, it's, it's, I will glorify, glorify the name above all names, right? It is assigning praise to God through song. That's Tehillah. That's, that's, that is what a lot of the psalmist is about because if you didn't know your Bible, Psalm, the biggest book in the Bible, can't really miss it. It's 150 chapters. If you're flipping through that thing, can't miss it. Super long. A lot of those were accompanied by music. A lot of those were, were musical songs that they had back in the day. And so Tehillah is a very important word in the Old Testament. It just means songs, hymns, praise songs, something like that. And so if we go to the next verse, this is an example of that. Um, sorry, the next one, my bad. I gave it to the wrong order. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. That word of their praise, I will tehillah you in the great assembly. I will, it's praise through song. And that's what we do every Sunday morning, right? We come here and we uplift God through song, through music. Because even if you're not super into, into music like um, you know, I'm like the most musical, non-musical person there ever was. I, I love music. I love all kinds of music, but I can't sing worth the darn, you know. I can't, I can't do anything with a musical instrument. But I love music. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't love music. But even then, beautiful music, beautiful song strikes the human heart in a particular way. And God knows this. And so, so God is saying, uh, you know, speaking to us through, through his word, the psalmist here says, I will praise you with song. In the great assembly, I will come into church. I will come into the house of the Lord and I will praise you with song. Because this is part of our calling as believers is to uplift the Lord through the music that we sing. Another one, and this, this one's really good. I like this one. Halal, H-A-L-A-L, for those of you who maybe want to write it down. Halal, it's the root word for hallelujah. It's where we get hallelujah, right? Raise a hallelujah. That word, hallelujah, the word halal, it just means to glorify or to boast in God. And actually, this is, this is where I get really nerdy here. This word is also translated as foolish or foolishness in other places in the Bible. And so there's a connotation of foolishness. I'm praising God so much. I'm praising God so exuberantly. I'm praising God with such fervor that other people think I'm crazy. Other people think I'm foolish. Other people look at me and say, what is that guy doing, right? Right? 
That's, that is, I mean, that's something the Bible here is commanding us to do. He's saying to, to raise, you know, so this morning we say raise a hallelujah, right? That word hallelujah has a connotation of foolishness. You ever met some, and typically it's a, typically it's a, older lady and you know you say something positive and hallelujah right you know hallelujah you know it's it, it, even when you say it like that it's got a little connotation of a little, a little wild a little crazy to it right that's what the word is telling us here whenever we dig into it we see that this word hello hallelujah to glorify or boast in god but not just like oh yeah yeah god he's pretty cool it's like no he's the king of kings the lord of lords there is none like him i will praise him i will shout his name i will shout to the lord all the earth all these things it is it's exuberant. It's got fervor to it. Like, I'm actually excited about what God has done. I'm actually excited about who God is and what he's done in my life. Halal, hallelujah. So whenever we're worshiping, we, 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 we see maybe you, you, we sing a song that has that word in it, or you hear somebody say that, you know? Now you know. Hey, that means to glorify or to boast in God. Maybe even with a little foolishness to it. Maybe with a little bit of fervor to it. A little bit of excitedness. Okay. Last one. Yada. Yada. Not Yoda. Yada. This one simply means to give thanks. To give thanks to the Lord. Um, to give thanks to the Lord, but specifically for the acts that he has done. To give thanks to God for, for the wonderful things that he has done in our life. You know, so, so there's, the, I always think of that song, um, there's an old hymn, um, we sing around Thanksgiving, you know, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One, right? I told you I can't sing, but you know what I'm talking about. That's the kind of spirit behind this word yada. It's translated as praise. God, I give you praise. It's a connotation of thanksgiving. God, I give you thanks for what you have done in my life and the life of our church and the life of, in the life of the believers here. God, I give you thanks for what you've done. Because whether or not you believe it, whether or not you recognize it, God has done amazing things in your life. Life is a miracle. Life is a gift. You know, every, you know this is what, if you were at the funeral yesterday or, or if you watched it online, this is what Deb wanted Bradley to tell us, that every day is a gift. Every day is a gift from God. Every day is, is, a, is a gift from God. And if, we, if you have nothing else to thank God for, you thank him for this breath, for this day, for this life that you have to live. So I can, yada, I can praise God through thanksgiving for my very life, for the breath I have right now. This is a word that, that the psalmist continually uses um, in the psalms as giving thanks for what God has done. But not just that. Not just the breath and the life that we have, but the miracles, the deliverance, the mighty things that God has done. And I think so many times we get caught, we're, we're so, you know, people in 2020 are what have you done for me lately type people, right? We're, we're the type of people, you know, what have you done for me the past week? What have you done for, we get so caught up in the current circumstances that we forget to reflect on what God has done. And so we, we think we're great and mighty, so we put God to task sometimes, right? You know, we, we challenge God. We challenge God and we say, God, where have you been? You know, you haven't done anything. Why should I give you thanks for anything? When we forget about the great and the mighty things God has done in the past, how God has brought us to this point, how he's been faithful to deliver us, faithful to bring us to where we are now. God has done so much for us, and so we give him thanks for that. We give him thanks. So once again, praise is 
exalting, glorifying, giving honor to God for what he has done. Worship, on the other hand, is praising God for who he is. The first word here I want to break down is shakah. Shakah. I had to, I looked at it and I was like, how do you pronounce this? And so on the, on the little place I was telling you about, Blue Letter Bible, you can hit the little, it looks like a speaker, and it will pronounce it for you. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? So all these weird words you look up, you're like, how do I pronounce that? Well, there you go. You can just click on it. Shakah. Anyways. This one is, I, I think this one may be the mo- one of the more powerful ones because I feel like, especially in Pentecostal churches, praise can be maybe superficial sometimes. Like, like it doesn't take a great effort to begin to praise God, right? Well, everybody else is praising God. I say, oh man, yeah, God is good. God has done some great things in my life. I lift my hands, I'll praise God, right? Worship is, a, is next level. Worship is deeper than praise. Worship is, is beyond praise. Worship is, is humble adoration or reverence for God. It, it goes beyond just thanking God for what he's done. It is submitting yourself to him for who he is. You realize God's number one. I'm submitting myself under his authority, under his rule. And so worship, this word, shakah, means to bow down to fall down prostrate on your face. Think about that. <laughs> you know, or, you know, or, you know, the, the kind of way that you really, if you think about it, we don't really act like that anymore, but the way that someone would approach a king in ancient times, right? The psalmist is saying, this is how we come before God. This is how we interact with God. Because God is mightier than any of those kings were. God is mightier than anybody else ever has been. Right? We come before him and we bow down. We fall down. You know, there is, there is power in that. There really is. And people ask, like, you know, do I have to lift my hands in church? Do I have to, you know, be interactive in church? And I just want to make a note right here. That science has proven that there is a, there is a very, very close relationship with what you do with your extremities, your feet, your hands, and what happens in your brain. There is a very, very close relationship between those things. And so in church, we're not just clapping our hands or raising our hands or, or sometimes you will see people that are, you know, on their knees or, or you know, maybe sometimes and, and if, if it gets real crazy, you know, you will see people that are laying down on the ground or whatever, right? Those things are not just so, you know, not so that other people can look or this or that or whatever. I don't, I don't really care about any of that. When you do those things, when you act with your body, it changes in your mind. What we do with our hands and our feet, deep down registers in our brain, deep down registers in our heart, and it makes a significant impact in how we perceive God around us, right? We, I'm just telling you, man, I'm not, I don't know how other way I could say this. I'm speaking from experience. There is a difference between praying to God like this and praying to God like this. It's just different. You have to trust me. You have to go do it. You have to go maybe go to your bedroom. If you don't feel comfortable doing it in church, just go home. Go home. When you go to pray tonight before you go to bed, get on your knees. Bow down before God. And there is something powerful about it. There is a a sign of surrender. There's a sign of, of God, I can't do it on my own, and so I come before you. There's there's something, I don't want to say magical, because it's ingrained into us by God. God knows this, right? And so it would only make sense that he tells us in his word to do this, right? So we are to shakah, 
to bow down, to fall down, to, to be before God as often as possible, right? We're to come and to worship Him. That's worshiping God, is the coming to Him and to bowing down, to serve Him. I mean, to me, it's very, very straightforward. God is King. We're His sons and daughters. We come before him and we bow before him. Recognizing his strength and his power, recognizing who he is. God, I, I, you know, there's just times, you know, anybody in here who's worshiped, uh, praise and worship for a significant amount of time knows that there's just moments where the Holy Spirit, it's just, it's so, it's tangible. It's, it's, you can feel it. You can just feel the presence of God all over the room. And it, it just, in those moments, you just feel like there's nothing else to do but that. There's nothing else you can do but bow in his presence. And I want, I, you know, this is part of my vision for the River Church. I know Bradley shares the same vision. I want the River Church to be a church that's not just marked by singing songs, but by the presence and the power of God. Not that we just come in here and sing. I mean, because if we just want to go sing songs, let's just all go buy tickets to some concert or something like that, you know? I want the presence of God in this place. I want the presence of God in here because we are nothing without the presence of God. When we shaka, whenever we bow down, when we get on our knees, we're saying, God, I want your presence. I, I, I submit myself to you, God. I sit my, submit myself to you. Final thing I, I'll say about that is, is, I'll just repeat it again. You cannot, you know, I, I can tell you about it, but you got to go do it, man. You got to go do it. You got to step out of your comfort zone sometime. You know, sometimes if we want to experience more of God, if we want God to move in our life in a way he's never has before, we have to do things we've never done before. We have to take, step out of our comfort zone in ways that we never have before. If we want to experience more of God, the word's very clear that when we move towards God, he moves towards us. When we take steps towards God, things happen. The ball gets rolling. I do want to show you a scripture real quick that, that has Shekah in it. Uh, the one before this one. I, I gave them in the wrong order. There we go. This right here is, I love it. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. I will bow down at your temple with deepest awe. I will come in here with a deep sense of wonder and reverence and awe because of who you are, God. And, and, and I'm, I promise I'm going to wrap this all around. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. It says that all the believers were in awe. It says all the believers were in wonderment of the great and mighty miracles that God was performing. They were in wonder and in awe of who God was and what he had been doing in their midst. The psalmist says, I want to come into your house. I want to come into the temple. I want to come into church and bow down to you with deepest awe for who you are. God, I want to, I want to, I want to experience you. And so I'm going to submit myself to you. Okay. These are taking longer than I thought they would, you know, uh, and you know, get, get, get going. Okay, so every word I've used up to this point has been out of the Old Testament, Hebrew. There's one word that means worship that I want to, I want to talk about this morning because I think the connection here is crazy. This really nerds me out, okay? It's Greek, and it's therapuo. It's where we get our word therapy. It's where we get the English word for therapy. Which, as you know, if you were to go visit Weber at uh, Cirque Physical Therapy, free advertising right there, okay? If you were to go visit her at her job, 
they, you know, might have something wrong with your hip or your knee or something. You know, they work you out. You know, they, they tell you what's wrong, give you some exercises to do. And they'd have you, they'd have you ready in no time, right, to go out there and, and, and continue your daily life, right? Therapy, healing, right? Well, this word is used in the New Testament as healing. But it's also used in several other instances to mean worship. And I don't know you know, the, uh, how, what the understanding would have been in, back in, in the day of uh, Jesus of, of how this would have been used. But when I saw this, I thought, man, light bulb in my head, there's a connection there. Because worship is our healing. Worship is the healing of the soul. I've already told you about how humans have rebelled against God. We have, we have ran against God. We've ran away from the ordinances and, and the will of God for our life. When we choose to worship, when we choose to put ourselves back under God, when we choose to, to submit ourselves to God, that is our healing. That's whenever our souls come back into where they're supposed to be. St. Augustine said this, that our souls were made for God. And so we will be restless only until we find our rest in him. Everybody will always keep searching. You know, there's that U2 song. I still haven't found what I've been looking for, right? Everybody walks around in life. They don't know what, they, they haven't found it yet. They never found it. And you will never find it until you go and you, and you submit yourself to God. We will continue to be broken and hurting until we find our healing in God. That's a relationship with God. Worship heals us, heals the soul, the heart is broken and poisoned and wounded. But worship is the healing. Worship is the healing. Anybody who's ever gone through any traumatic instances in their life and God has delivered you from it, if I were a betting man, I would guarantee you that part of the healing of that process came in a worship setting, came when you, when you expose yourself bare before mighty God and says, God, I can't do it anymore. God, I just, I want to worship you. God, I want to follow you. God, I want to submit myself to you. And it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit does something amazing, does, does a healing, does a work where our hearts are made whole, our, our hearts are made uh, uh, pure before God. So, those are some of the words that the Bible uses to describe praise and worship. And so now whenever you read your Bible, you see where it says that, you can be like, oh, you know, what's that mean? You know, let, me go, let me go look it up. Let me go look it up. You know, or maybe it means this. Maybe it means that, right? Give you a little bit more information on what those mean. But the fact of the matter is this. You know, what is praise and worship, right? Praise is praising God for what he's done. Worship is praising him for who he is. But the fact of the matter is, is that even if you don't really know that in depth, it should still be an essential part of your life. It should still be part of your life on the day-to-day -day basis, right? It says they met together and they worshiped daily. Well, you know, obviously our church doesn't meet every day, but that doesn't exclude you from worshiping daily. It, doesn't keep, it shouldn't keep you from worshiping God daily. It shouldn't keep you from, from getting into the presence of God in your own way. Man, I, the world is crazy now. You know, the, the little... Uh, you know, devices like this or your phone or whatever, you can, you can whip that thing out, get on YouTube in two seconds, and you have some worship music right there. Any kind, too, you know, whether, whether you like, you know, Gaither, you like, you like the old stuff, you like, you know, the hymns, all those things, or maybe you like, you know, Hillsong, you got some new music, maybe you're a little bit in between, you know, you, you like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, maybe, uh, what? 
Chris Tomlin, you know, maybe you're kind of in the middle, you know, maybe like some, some original Chris Tomlin worship albums, whatever. You can go on YouTube and you can find anything. I mean, anything. You can find anything on there that you want to listen to. And what I'm telling you is this, is that there is no reason in 2020 that you can't worship on a daily basis. There's no reason in 2020 that you can't praise on a daily basis. There's no reason that you can't whip that phone out that you've been using to get on Facebook too much and go and worship God, get in your prayer closet and start to worship and praise God as he deserves because because this is something that the Bible commands us to do daily. We're supposed to get in into his presence daily. Because you know, this is maybe not something good for a pastor to say, but even if you don't read the word daily, you need to get in his presence daily. Even if you don't read the Bible daily, you need to get in his presence daily because his presence is what changes us. His word changes us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we read the word and it's the Holy Spirit illuminating these words into our heart, yes, but, but we need to get in his presence daily. We need to get into the worship setting, into prayer, into, into praising him on a daily basis. This is essential for the Christian life. Essential. You know, I, I ran across this quote. I said it earlier today, but I'm going to say it again. God continually gives us his presence. You know, God's everywhere. The psalmist said, where can I flee from your presence, right? God gives us his presence everywhere. Praise and worship is us giving God our presence. You ever been with someone? They're there, but they ain't really there, you know? They might be with you, but they're on their phone. You know, they might be with you, but you can tell their mind's a little bit distracted, right? They're, they're not fully present. The great missionary Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. And a lot of times, we're in the presence of God, but we're not really. Our presence is not fully there, right? True praise and worship is whenever we, we come to God, and God's given us his presence, but we say, God, here is all of me. And I mean all of us. This is, a, this, is a, this, is a, this is problematic sometimes with worship. When we worship God, we want to hold back maybe the past things that have happened to us. We want to hold back the things in our life that, you know, they're not so good. God wants all of you. God wants every bit, even the, even the bad things, even the sin, even the shame. God, you got to bring that to God so he can forgive you, so that he can heal you, so that he can bring you and make you whole and clean again we got to bring all of ourselves to God, our full presence to God. That's true, true praise and worship, is bringing ourselves fully to God. God gives us his presence. We have to give him our presence. And everything we do, especially praise and worship. Okay. I, I, you know, if this is getting discombobulated, I'm sorry. I didn't really know what, how, to, how to, I was some risk. I just don't know. I know what to say. I just don't know how to say it. And that's the challenge of preaching sometimes is you got like all these things you want to say, but if it doesn't make any sense, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just sorry. I just you have to deal with it. You know, blame, blame Bradley. Anyways, um, uh, this is one of the things I wrote down. I said, you worry because you don't worship enough. You worry because you don't worship enough. Because worry and true worship cannot coexist at the same time. Worry and true worship cannot coexist at the same time. I'm going to repeat myself one more time. You cannot, or you worry because you do not worship enough. Because what happens in life is our problems, they get real big. They get magnified. They get real big, right? Well, you know what the Bible says? The psalmist says, magnify the Lord, Magnify the Lord. Well, when we, when we magnify the Lord, is it making God any bigger than he already is? No. But in our vision, in our lives, in our mind, in our heart, when we magnify the Lord, he becomes bigger. And that problem, that worry becomes smaller. 
We get, God becomes bigger, God becomes bigger, God becomes bigger, God becomes bigger. That problem becomes small, and eventually you're worshiping the Lord, and that worry, you say, God's got it, man. God's got it. The ba-, you know, Pastor Sharon was up here praying. She said, the battle's already won. The battle is the Lord's. When we begin to worship, we begin to go before God, we realize God's got it. God has got it. I, 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 I believe, I worship God, and as I worship him, he gets bigger and the problem gets smaller. The problem gets smaller. The problem gets smaller. So if you're in this place and you're filled with worry, you know, Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be all right. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus understood what I'm telling you this morning. Worry and worship cannot coexist. Focus less on your problem. Focus on how big your God is. And as you do, that worry becomes smaller. Jesus becomes bigger. Okay. Uh, Last thing. Worship breaks us of our pride and our ego. It breaks us. It breaks us in half of our pride and our ego. You know, uh, especially men. I feel, like, I feel like men have a real big problem. You know, we, we want to seem macho, want to seem like we got it all together, you know, oh, you know, let's go, you know. You know, I just think it's, it's something masculine. We want to act like we've got it all together. We want to act like we've got it all figured out. And so this will keep men, typically men, I'm speaking to men in here, it will keep us from entering into worship because we think, why would I worship God whenever I have it all together, you know? And no, nothing's wrong, why would I worship God, you know? Don't do that. Don't do that because you don't have it all together. You aren't capable in your own strength. You aren't capable by your own power. And sometimes it takes God to break a man to realize for us to realize that sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to hit ground zero. And it's not just men. Sometimes women are like that too, but typically that's how men are. What worship is, though, worship is the exaltation of God over yourself. It's lifting up God above you and your, your, your pride and your ego. It breaks us of that. I wrote down here, I said, you don't see selfish people truly worshiping. Selfish people usually don't enter into true worship because they're so focused on here. Worship, in its essence, is focusing on there. Selfishness focuses on here. God breaks us of that. In the place of worship, we are broken of our pride and our ego and our selfishness, and we worship God. And he becomes the object of our worship. He becomes the object of our pride. He becomes the object of of what we want to focus on. All those things. So, I'll lay in the ship here. That That was kind of my, you know... Uh, breaking down a couple of the words and then a couple of my thoughts on praise and worship. As a believer, I, I, you know, I just want to share a little bit of my story. I, I hear people all the time tell me things like, you know, you, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be here, you know, not many people your age are in a position you're in or whatever, this or that. The calling of God over my life came in a time of worship. It came in a place of worship. It came with music and singing of songs. Every time God has spoken to me, it has been through music and songs. Every time God has, has spoken into my life, it has been through music, songs, praise, and worship. I see a lot of people nodding around here because it's the same for a lot of us. As we are in the time of praise and worship, God speaks, God moves, God in, interacts with his people, with his congregation. And so I want to encourage you 
You know, we're not going to get the band back up here and go back in another round of praise and worship, you know. No, we're, we're going to land the ship for today. But in your life, make it, a, make it a resolution tomorrow or even today. You know, we've got two hours before the Chiefs game, you know. A couple hours afterwards, you know. Praising God for that win, amen, right? Amen. No, make it a resolution in your life to begin to worship God on a daily basis. You know, I, I was preparing for this sermon and the other day, um, I, I'm, I'm going to honor him for a minute, Richard Swales, faithful member of our church. He came to pick up some mops from the school, helping him load it into the car. And I said, Richard, what have you been up to? And he said, I've been, I've been listening to some gospel music in my car. I've been listening to, to, he's been listening to praise music, to praise songs. And I said, God, I want to be like that. God, whenever I'm, whenever I'm his age, I want to be praising the Lord. I want to be listening to praise songs. I want to be, I want to strive to be like that. You know, there is no finish line. Typical American lifestyle teaches you that when you get to a certain age, you can retire and just coast on out till you die, right? There is no retirement for Christianity. We are pressing on towards the goal, pressing on towards the prize, continually, daily, worshiping God. And so I want to I encourage you to daily find your music, find your praise and worship that you like. Turn it on and, and listen. Begin to praise the Lord. Begin to let the Lord mold you and shape you into who he's created you to be. Amen. We're going to continue our time of um, worship gathering together, um, and we're going to praise and worship here in a minute with, with uh, communion. We're going to partake of communion together, and when we do that, the band's going to have music, right? Why? Because music is powerful. It's powerful, and, and accompanied with the communion, I believe the Lord is going to meet us. So I'm going to ask if, um, if John